I looked at uh, the word worship in Scripture in its various forms, worship, worshipped, and worshiping. I found it appeared in Scripture 176 times. And I read those because I was very interested in what appropriate worship is. When I say what is appropriate worship, we have to remember the one we are worshiping is God. He is the focus of our worship. He sets the standard for our worship. And we live in a culture that has been on a trend of being very me-oriented, very feelings-oriented, and we are more interested in pleasing God than we are in pleasing ourselves. So after reading the 176 verses in Scripture in their context, I came up with some conclusions, conclusions, and I want to share those with you, and I want to see if any of them kind of startle you. Number one, worship is something you do. It's not something done to you. Hmm. God is our target audience, not evangelism. He deems what is appropriate, and that standard is Scripture. The majority of cases of worship are done congregationally, not personally. It's a congregational thing. It can be personal, but it's mostly congregational. And finally, worship is not the tapping of your foot to the music. I'm sorry, not tapping your foot to the beat of the music. It's walking to the beat of God's heart. That's worship. It includes song, but is not limited to song. Much more is confession and obedience and prayer and sacrifice. That's what worship is according to the Word of God. And what I would like to do is go through Scripture and see some cases where people were worshiping um, in an acceptable way to God and the way people were worshiping in a way that was unacceptable to God. And I'm not pointing any fingers, whether it be at me or you, I'm not pointing any fingers at our denomination versus another domination. This is simply just getting yourself plain, looking in the mirror and saying, what can I do to make my worship more acceptable to God? Okay. As you know, I was traveling last weekend and I asked Brother Brian to cover for me. I listened to that sermon and enjoyed it very much. But one of the reasons we met on Wednesday before he spoke... And I said, Brian, why do you think I asked you to speak on Sunday? And he says, because the Holy Spirit's working in my life. And I believed he's gone to a place where church is not just a box you check. It's something more. And I think you can see the evidence of that in his life and his excitement towards the things of God. And I was hoping a little bit of that would have been contagious and we would have caught some of that last week. Amen? All right, very good. You're with me. So far, not one of those statements has surprised you and I'm very, very excited about that. 
Well, let's go to the very first case where I can find people worshiping in the Bible, and that's in Genesis 4. So if you have your Bibles, would you go with me there? And let's read that. This is Genesis 4. This is Cain and Abel. There's two men, and they're going to worship. And one of the men are going to worship in a way that's acceptable to God, and another one's going to worship in a way that is rejected by God. Now, for the longest time, and I was completely wrong, for years, I thought that the reason why God rejected Cain's sacrifice is because he didn't bring blood, because the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament says, without the remission of, uh, uh, without the, I'm sorry, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And I thought Cain was just too big for his britches, and he was a farmer, and he had produce, and he didn't want to swap out his produce and, and, and get a lamb from his brother and offer his brother sacrifice. And that's what he did wrong, and that's what he was, that was his pride issue. But I think I'm dead wrong after reading Scripture. I am waking, making too many uh, suppositions in order to come to that conclusion. I think it's simpler than that. Let's just read what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. Okay, so let me start there in Genesis 4, starting at verse 2. <clears throat> and she again bare his brother Abel, this is Eve. And Abel was keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and unto his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Okay? As an introduction, as we go through several cases in the Bible about people that are worshiping acceptably and unacceptably to God, I'm going to make three things that have to happen for you to have acceptable worship. Number one, you've got to worship the right person. Okay? If that's wrong, you might as well throw in the towel. Number two, you've got to worship in the right way. Okay. Number three, even though you're worshiping to the right God in the right way, you've got to worship with the right attitude. Okay. All three need to be present. And when I look at this case, Cain was worshiping the right God. Amen. And I believe he was worshiping in the right way. He was bringing what he had. There's plenty of first fruits offering in Scripture. There's plenty of uh, peace offerings that, that, that don't involve blood. So he was offering what he had. So for the longest time, I thought that was his sin. But I don't think that's the case. I think he came with a bad attitude. He was worshiping in the wrong way. Just, just notice when, when God says, I don't want your sacrifice. He didn't say, God, what did I do wrong? How can I make it better? What did he do? He got mad. That kind of shows you his attitude, amen? How dare you not take my sacrifice? Don't you know I'm God's gift to the world? That's his attitude. Okay, we see Abel, and what he did was he brought his first fruits, which was a big deal back then in the farming. And he brought the fat. So he gave him, God, or Abel gave him his first, and he gave him his best. Okay? Notice what's markedly absent in Cain's offering. It says he just brought. 
It doesn't say it's his first. It doesn't say his is best. He just brought any old thing. Amen? He, he brought us back. He didn't bring. It just, he just brought any, anything will do. And then notice we get another peek into it. Way down in, this isn't working. Way down here in Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith, Abel, I'm sorry, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Why was it more excellent? Because he did it by faith. In other words, Cain is just checking off a box and Abel is doing more than checking off a box. He's bringing something by faith. Now, let me give you an example, okay? I'm always afraid to do this because people will think I'm preaching at them and I'm not. It's an illustration I thought of before thinking of any of you earlier this week. Okay, you got two people that come to church and they're here at 1029 and they sing the first song and they're here for the entire hour and a half that we're here, however long that is. Amen? And one's checking off the box and one is here that's not checking off the box. See, the attitude is there. Their worship actually started Saturday evening by praying for the service and praying for the message and praying that they would receive the message and their heart would be prepared and the ground would be ready to receive the seed. And then they went to bed at a reasonable time and was rested for it. And they got up early and they just cleared the schedule. They said, this is the morning I get to worship God. Not this is the morning I got to go to church. This is the morning I get to worship God. And the schedule's cleared and all the... And and you're not fighting with your spouse on the way to church and you're not yelling at the children. And you're not rushing around doing the casserole for the meal afterwards. I mean, all that stuff, just out of... It's clear because Sunday morning's worship and you walk in and you actually get here early and you go back there and you, you, you sit down there and you might even have a cup of coffee. But while you're having that cup of coffee... You're saying, hey, you had a test result this week. How did that result go? Hey, brother, I know you've been looking for a job. Did you have any interviews this week? You did? How did that go? Did they ask any questions that were off? Hmm, how could you have answered it better? And you're talking like that. You know what? That's fellowship. And then you come in here and you walk. And you might put a little gift in the box, whether you do it monthly or weekly, however you do it, however you do it. That's part of worship. And they come in here, and then you sing the song. And then you pray, and you're part of the prayer. Maybe you're called on, maybe you're not called on, maybe you're offering your prayer request. And then you get the word. And then afterwards, you go home, you look at these notes, you look up the verses, and you say, is that preacher spinning some yarn, or does the Bible actually say that? And then when you see, God did say that. It hurt. By the preacher, hurt my feet. He stepped on my toes. And then you go do it. That's worship. That's the difference between checking off the box and getting filled with the Spirit and worshiping the Lord. Have you ever thought that if you're just checking off the box, maybe that's what God does with you? He just checks off your box? I don't want Him to check off my box. I want him to pour forth out everything onto me. That's the difference. And I think that's the difference between Abel 
and Cain. Cain just did it. He just checked off the box. That's an example. Okay? He got quiet in here. I didn't mean to do that, but... I got quiet all week long as I was studying this. And because I traveled last week, I've been actually ripping myself up for two weeks with this message. Okay? All right. So, that's my first example. I want to show you something, though. There's a case in Scripture... And, and, and this, is per, this, is, this, is, this is not a reference to worship, but it's a reference to the way we think. And I want to read the scripture, but I'm going to tell you these two cases. There was a case where Moses led Israel out of Egypt, and they went through the Red Sea. And after they went through the Red Sea, they didn't get very far. And pretty early on, they ran out of water. And they had water for themselves and their children, their families, their livestock. And they were just moaning and complaining. And, and, and Moses goes and intercedes to God. And he says, God, these people are just more than I can bear. And he says, you know, go get Aaron's rod and hit the rock. And water came forth. And it was more than enough to came for, take care of them. Okay, that's the first account. We're going to read that in a second. But then a couple years go by and something similar happens. You know what happens? They run out of water and the people are whining and complaining and and Moses goes to God again. He says, I just need this water. And this time he says, speak to the rock. And Moses was dealing with the people and he got angry with the people. And you know what he did? He did what he did last time. He didn't do what God said. He did what he's used to doing. And he smote the rock and water come forward. And you're thinking, what's the big deal? He got water. So what? He tweaked God's lesson just a little bit. It doesn't matter. He still got water. If your standard is the result, you're going to miss the boat. Because when we read this account, we're going to find out that says, Moses, you got water. But I'm not going to trust the next generation with you. Whoa. Maybe we can be in a church and we can do it the way we're used to doing it, even though it's not the way God said. And God continues to give us a little bit of water. But he says, I'm not going to trust the next generation to you. You ready to handle that? I'm not. Okay. Okay, I just told you what the book says. Let's read to see if that's really what it says. The first account is in Exodus 17, verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod, which thou smotest the river. Take in thy hand and go, and behold, I will stand before thee there on the rock of Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of all the elders. And it goes on to say they got watered. Okay, let's go to the next account. This is in Numbers 20, starting at verse 7. This is several years later. And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Take thy rod, and gather thou the assembly uh, uh, together, thou and Aaron thy people, and speak ye to the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shalt thou give the congregation and their beasts to drink. But let's go to verse 11. 
And Moses lifted up his hands, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. But God said, speak to it. It says, and water came out abundantly. Oh, we don't have to follow God exactly. It doesn't. We can tweak his instructions a little bit. See the results? The same. I got water. I wanted water. Everything's okay. Let's see if everything is okay. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not. He didn't offer it in faith. Sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given thee. You will not go into Canaan. Wow, that's some pretty heavy stuff. So just because you feel like eh, it doesn't matter, God doesn't really care, I can do whatever I want. I'm getting by, it seems to be working out okay. Maybe short term. But long term, there was a price that Moses had to pay. So be careful with that kind of thinking. The end justifies the mean. Your end justifies the short-term mean, but God's got a longer end. Amen? All right. Okay. So there's three things that have to be right. Number one, you have to have the right person you're worshiping. Number two, you've got to worship in the right manner. Number three, you've got to do it with the right attitude. I think Cain and Abel did a little bit with that right attitude. But let's look at the, about the right person. This is one of Moses, I'm sorry, not Moses. This is one of Satan's tricks. He used it in the garden. He says, ye shall be gods. And he's, this is the first thing he, he tempts Jesus with. So I'm in Matthew 4. Let me start reading at verse 8. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. No. He's trying to divert Jesus' worship. Amen? The wrong person. And Jesus comes back. And to me, this is the absolutely most amazing thing. Here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word made flesh perfect and pure in his intelligence and understanding of the word. And you know what he quotes? He doesn't quote what he knows. He doesn't quote what he did. He doesn't quote what he feels. He doesn't quote what he thinks. What does Jesus Christ, the Son of God, quote? Scripture. That's his power. That's his authority. When you come with anything else, you're committing idolatry. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So I told you when I went through Scripture and I found 176 references that used the word worship, over 60 of them, I think it was like 64 or 65, had to do with worshiping the wrong things. Wrong things come in many shapes and forms. People worship things God made like stars and sun and moon and earth and water. Things came in the form of what men made. Amen? Statutes, golden images, graven images, calves, bats, all kinds of stuff. I, I was shocked at some of them that were made. But we would never do that. 
I've seen buildings worshipped. I've seen artifacts worshipped. I've seen fixtures within a building worshipped. Amen? We can easily do it. We've all prayed to that. We can also worship customs and traditions. Now, if it's a God-based tradition, that's fine. But if it's not, we better not worship it. Right? Okay. All right. Let's keep on going here. Here's an example I want to stress on you too. This is the one in the Old Testament. This is Amos 5. This is pretty scary. Okay. I had a tough time trying to figure out a good example. And finally, uh, Deborah and I were sitting at the kitchen counter the other day and I shared this with her. So let me read the, the, the context to you. <clears throat> this is Amos 5 speaking to Israel. He's, this is God speaking. I hate, I despise your feasts. I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. They're coming together, they're worshiping, they're bringing the first fruits, they're bringing the best, they're bringing the fat, they're bringing the best animals, they're offering everything, they're doing everything in the right way. Take thou away me the noise of thy songs. They were singing. I don't want to hear that garbage. Well, I thought I sounded pretty good today. We sang in harmony, especially that last one, number 60. It was great. And believe me, number 62 did give me goosebumps this morning. I really did. But I will not hear the melodies of thy vials, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offering in the wilderness 40 years? Verse 26, but ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Shiyuan, your images. This is what happened. I explained this to Deborah last night. I said, Deborah, pretend I came home from a day at church and in the office and I was working. And as soon as I walked in the door, I was the absolute best husband you can ever imagine. I came in and I gave you my full attention and I looked and, and all day long, I did not, all evening long, all I did was I just met your, your emotional needs, your physical needs, your, 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 your social needs, your spiritual needs and I just, I just ministered to you. You were my full attention. I chipped in. I, I helped with the meals. And I helped with the cleaning up. I helped with, with, with everything and at night it, and, and I even gave you a foot rub. Okay? What a great husband. But what would happen if at lunch I flirted with someone and I took someone else to lunch? Another girl, right? That's what these people were doing. They were worshiping God in that ten and a half or that one and a half hour segment on Sunday morning. But you know what they were doing the rest of the week? They were flirting and taking other girls to lunch and, and dinner and things like that. That's why God, you have to have the right God. Well, I don't flirt with another God. Now, when do you, well, I don't want to get anybody's hobby horse. But this is March Madness. (laughs) What do you get excited for? Hmm? I know, Michigan made it to Final Six Sweet 16. I'm I'm, I'm going, yeah, that's good, I'm, I'm happy. 
But what gets me happier when a saint sees scripture and understands something or Michigan gets past another, is an underdog and, and beats another team and keeps on going? Got it? All right. We got, we, we got our idols. So, what do you spend more time in? God's Word or watching March Madness? Okay? All right. Let's go to John 4. This is also an important part when you talk about worship. John 4, I'd like to read 22 through 24. Ye worship, this is Jesus Christ talking to the Jews, <clears throat> uh, specifically those that, that, uh, that um, Samaritan woman, and she was um, uh, talking there, and then she went back to the village, and she got her people, and she brought them back, and she, he was having this conversation. He says this, though, Ye worship, ye know not what. Ye know not what ye will worship for salvation of the Jews. Let me, let, me, let me say something here. This is really important. Most folks in today's culture, in the year 2022 in America, thinks worship is first feelings and then cognitive. It's not. It's first cognitive and then it's feelings. Okay? No, no, believe me, you need both. And I'll, I'll explain that. But please do not convince yourself that spirituality is feelings. That's, that's, that's wrong. It's a lie. Okay? It can be. But it's not. That's not what, how you define it. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Y'all, you need both. You need truth, and you need spirit. If it's all here, it's got nothing more than legalism. And if this is all you got, you got nothing more than emotionalism. It's both. Worship is both. And they meet in the middle. We need both. Okay? So this is the case we have here. Um, let's go to the next one. I, I, I told you I, and I, didn't, I don't have time to go through all 176 verses with you um, today, and I don't think that would be profitable. But I did cherry pick a couple things out there that things that were considered worship. In Nehemiah 9 and 3, they gathered to worship. And you know what they were doing when they were doing it? They were reading scripture. They were reading the Bible. Reading the Bible is worship. In Acts 24, 14, it says not only did they read scripture, they believed scripture. That's worship. In Hebrews 11 and 21, what Joseph was doing was he was passing along a promise to the next generation. That's worshiping too. Those are things we normally don't think of as worship, when we're in a concert and we're singing and swaying and doing all that kind of stuff. I do want to share something. <clears throat> this is actually what, what triggered a good part of this study. And as, as I say this, I'm, I hope you know my heart. I'm not doing this making fun of anybody. There's a, I've got a friend, and he's, he's a very kind man. He's a different order than us. And uh, he's very kind, warm, and friendly, and, 
And, and believe me, I'm not looking down my nose because I know there's a lot of things that he does that spiritually I can learn from him. But this particular friend of mine mentioned that they, uh, they had a, a worship leader that quit and they need a new one. And, and I thought about it, I said, but you're the pastor. And then it hit me because I'm, I'm just, I guess got my head in a hole or something. And I realized that the term worship leader has come to replace music director, choir leader, organist. And, you know, whatever they call But I just want to make this point that 25 years ago, we didn't use terms like worship leaders and worship teams. We call them choir directors and bands. Okay? But something's happened where that term... Now, they can call it what they want. To me, being a grandfather and a former high school teacher, to me, that's a very dangerous term. See, us old fogies, when we think of the word worship, we know that song and music is a subset of worship, and we got that straight, right? But when you take some young kids, and you say, here's the worship leader, and here's the pastor, it's dangerous thinking, okay, this is the worship, and that extra guy, that's extra. And that's what's dangerous. So just as long as the emphasis there, call it what you want. I'm just saying it's a dangerous term and it just really threw me. It is not. It can include it. Matter of fact, as I went through the 176 times worship showed up, singing was only mentioned three of the 176. Other things, the right God, the right way, and the right attitude were way more important. Okay? So I hope I said that Tenderly enough, I'm not making fun of anyone because we can do the same thing. You know, we, we're, we're planning a singing school this summer. We can turn in the same thing. Even though we're doing it our um, traditional way, we can do the same thing with a singing school. We can make a God out of it. Okay? It is just another way we worship God. Okay? All right things that saints did that were unacceptable. Probably my favorite verse, when I say my favorite one, is probably the one that's most profound in Matthew 15 and 9. They worship teaching the man's doctrine, the doctrine of men, the commandments and doctrine of men. That is unacceptable to God. God wants you to teach his commandments. He wants you to obey his commandments. And when you force man's commandments on people, you're not worshiping him anymore. And God finds that unacceptable. He also doesn't like when you have confidence in self. And he doesn't also like when you are worshiping in a way that satisfies self. It's not about you. It's about God. Well, God, you sound pretty jealous I think that's one of his names, isn't it? You sound pretty sovereign. Yeah, I think that's one of his names too. Okay, so there you go. All right. I want to talk about the attitude. <clears throat> Here's a case. And I, I, I put this one in here because I thought this was real interesting. There was a, a Syrian general. His name was Naaman. You remember him? He was healed of leprosy. And after his conversion, he had a conversion experience. And uh, he was praying. And he says, God, 
We're going to read his conversation with God or, or, or the prophet here in just a second. But basically this is what he's going to say. Naaman was converted and he was a pagan and he used to um, worship statues and make sacrifices to statues and do all this stuff. And he had this great experience where he went and he got cleaned of his leprosy and all of a sudden he realized God was Jehovah God and he's going to serve him and he's going to do him all his days. But I just want to talk to you about his attitude. See, what he did is he says, you know, I've got this job and every once in a while I've got to take my king and I've got to hold him by the arm and I've got to escort him into the temple. And when he does that and he bows down, I've got to go down with him to help him so he doesn't fall over. And basically what he's going to say in this passage, this is Second uh, Kings five seventeen and 18. He says, Lord, I never have any intentions of making any more pagan sacrifices. And I'm going to go into this temple, and it looks like I'm going to be bowing down, but I'm not bowing down to this statue. He says, I'm going to do it simply because I'm serving my master. And in order for him to go down, i got to go down and I help. And I says, please forgive me for doing this. My friends, that's the proper attitude. Do you understand? This is his attitude. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servants two mules, burdens of earth? For the servant will henceforth author neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord God. And in this thing, Lord, pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Remon to worship there, and leaneth on my hand, and I bow in the house, myself in the house, when I bow down myself in the house, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. He said, I'm not worshiping this guy. It's something I got to do to help this old king, and as he bends down, and I'm going to help him, and I'm going to do that. And please excuse me. Communication is great. And he's telling him beforehand. He's not justifying an excuse or after the fact. That's the right attitude, right? Okay. There was a lot about the posture of bowing. When people are worshiping, their heads are down. Notice this. Exodus 4.31, it said they bowed their heads. Joshua 5.14, it says he fell face to the earth. Nehemiah 8.6, that's a tough one. How do you pray with your head down and your hands up? That's, that's really hard to do. My, my elbows don't want to go back that way. But, but somehow they were doing that. Notice the posture of worship. Also, your body's really low. In Psalm 99.5, it's talking about going to God's footstool, Matthew 28, 9. They actually went up to Jesus and held him by his feet. In Revelations 19, 10, they fell at his feet. So when we are worshiping, we are in a very humble place. Okay, that's, that's what worship is. Now, you're thinking, well, this has got to be this sorry, gloomy, doomy thing. Not always. But my point is, is that if worship to you is feeling good, my guess is, and that's all you ever do when, when you think you're worshiping, my guess is you're not worshiping God. There are times when you will be excited. There will be times when you're just fit to shout. But that comes after the cognitive. Okay? All right. <clears throat> I want to take you one more place. Actually, two more places. 
The first one is in Matthew 5. I want to look at the Beatitudes. Let's consider the first three Beatitudes. Would, now, a couple of years ago, I did a message called The Beatitudes Are Cued. Cued. In other words, they have an order, and the order is important. And if you're going through the Beatitudes and you're stumbling with the fifth or the sixth one, don't keep barreling at it. Don't back up and try to redo number four. Go back to number one. In other words, you know, a potato sack race, or no, a potato race on a spoon, you're running, you don't pick up the potato, put it there, and you keep on running, you go back to the start. Well, if you're having a problem with one of the Beatitudes you're running, you go back to the start. Notice the first three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If we are in a congregation and worship is going on, and I can get you to the place where you're poor in spirit to get God's blessings, wouldn't you think that's a pretty good thing? Amen? Do you realize that's worship? How many people would describe the first beatitude as worship? But that's what it is. How about the second one? Blessed are they that mourn. Mourn, mourn, mourn over your sins, right? I've got to come unto the Lord humble, and then once I come to the humble, I've got to repent and mourn over my sins. Well, if worship gets you to a place where you're mourning over your sins, I say praise the Lord because blessing's coming. But if all you're doing is saying, I love God, I love God, we love God, you love God, uh, again, I'm jealous for God and I'm jealous for worship and I'm jealous for this false worship that robs so many of our Christians of having a full relationship with God and I want them to have that. Okay? And then the third one is blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. If our worship can get you to the place where you're poor in spirit and you mourn and you're meek. You know what I say? I say praise the Lord. I think worship has gone on. But how many folks would define it that way in our modern culture? We've got to be very protective. Okay? All right. One more message. Luke 7. Luke 7. This is Jesus Christ. Let me read the passage. He's going to talk to Jews. And basically he's going to say, I'm looking at the men of this generation. And I'm not seeing men, I'm seeing children. Let's look what the description is. Luke 7 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? To what are they like? I'll tell you what you're like. They're like little kids. Okay? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another and saying, We have piped unto you, but ye have not danced, and we have mourned to you and have not wept. Doesn't sound like a very spiritual meeting. Well, it depends how you find spiritual, amen? Okay? It wasn't a very charismatic meeting. Okay? For the John the Baptist came eating bread nor wine, nor drinking wine, and you said he was a devil, and Jesus Christ came eating and drinking, and you were saying he was gluttonous. But you know what? They both preached the same message. Amen? Repent and be baptized. That was the message both the kingdom of God is at hand. It was the cognitive. See, these children were focused on the emotional. 
The son of man is coming eating, but you say he's gluttonous? But wisdom is justified of all her children. I don't want to be justified of children. I want to be justified of God and his word. That's acceptable worship. Observations about worship. Let me read these again. Okay? Worship is something you do. Worship is not something that is done to you. That's my summary of reading the 176 verses that have worship in them. Well, I didn't get anything out of the service. Well, what did you give? No, I didn't come to give. I come to get. Well, that's probably the problem. Worship is something you do. It's not something that's done to you. Worship's target audience is God. Well, we need to have a worship service that'll bring in the people. No, we need to have a worship service that'll glorify God and he'll bring in the people. Okay? God deems what worship is appropriate practiced congregationally more than personally. Now, there are plenty of times in Scripture where people sped off and went on their own. David was one that did it often. There was a time where his, his uh, son died, the one that was by Bathsheba, that first little baby died. He went into the temple and it said he worshipped. He went there all by himself. There's times where David went on a mountaintop and he worshipped all by himself. Yes, we can worship personally, but you know what? That's a very small percentage of the amount of worship that was done by David. Most of the worship he did was congregationally. Okay? Worship standards is scriptures, not our feelings and emotions. We're going to use this to base what our worship is. But it didn't feel very jazzy today. You know what it says? How much did you pray yesterday? What time did you go to bed last night? How many chores did you do before church this morning? Oh, must be the preacher's fault. I'm just teasing. Maybe it was the preacher's fault. I know I make many mistakes. Okay? But don't go there first. Five. Worship is not tapping our foot to the beat of the music. It's walking to the beat of God's heart. That's it. I think our biggest worship happens personally. Yes, personally. Monday through Saturday. When we hear this message, when we put it into practice... And our, why, our lives mimic what Jesus Christ was. And we're walking in a way that says, Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and for dying for my sins. And I'm walking this way simply to say thank you to you. What kind of worship is that? Okay, that's way better than a perfect tenor. Amen? Or a harmonized alto and soprano. And then finally, worship includes song. It is not defined by song. Worship also includes confession and obedience and prayer and sacrifice. And that's worship. Acceptable and not acceptable. Kind of an overview. But I pray this has been um, enlightening, convicting, motivating. But most of all, I pray it's according to God's will. And if, it's, if, if it is, and you go home and you check it in Scripture, by doing so, you'll be worshiping God. And you're convinced it's true, and you make changes, that'll be worshiping God too. May the Lord help us worship God. Thank you.